You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the rest of the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Ivy ho Alan Seiler. Greetings, humans. And Veronica Daschle. <laughs> I'm going to say anything again, water. Alan, because you're going to make me laugh every time. Okay. <laughs> That's going to be Alan's new goal, is to crack Veronica up so she can't introduce herself. It's not that hard. <laughs> Those two are spontaneous. Sorry. Those two are spontaneous, so I can't, I can't try to be funny. It's spontaneous, so I'm just going to have to stay serious. Let them do the funny stuff. <laughs> Veronica, you have such a joyous laugh. Yes. I, I love hearing it. So you know. you, When you're at the convention, uh, Chuck can find me anywhere because, yep. because of my laugh. Yes. There you go. He's All like, right. oh, she's over there. <laughs> All right. Well, today we're, we're hitting a milestone. This episode will be our 20th released episode. So we thought we'd celebrate by going through the 20th episode of all the Star Trek series that have made it that far so far. Starting from the original series and going all the way up through Enterprise, uh, beginning with the 20th episode of the original series, Court Martial. Fantastic episode. Absolutely. So, and the way we did this, we divided it up. So we each took a one or two episodes to look at. So Court Martial was one of mine. And I was actually delighted to, um, to look at Court Martial. One of the things we did, I know we talked about, was we were trying to decide what the, I think the way Alan put it was, we want the 20th, what was the Alan, the 20th? The 20th broadcast. episode. The 20th episode, not, not the 20th, the 20th story. Exactly, because many of these had two-parters, and then the original series is weird because they have a pilot, The Cage. One of the streaming services has um, The Cage first and then the, as a part of it. But anyway, so this is, the, um, depending on who you look at, this is considered the 19th or the 20th episode, and the way we looked at it is the 20th. And what makes Course Marshall, the, the plot of the show is that Captain Kirk is on Starbase 11, and... What we have found out very early is that the Enterprise has just endured what's called an ion storm. We have never found out exactly what an ion storm is in Star Trek, but they have them pretty frequently and they're pretty nasty. And what happened was a member of the crew, Ben Finney, who was sent down into some kind of weird observational pod to study the ion storm, was lost because Kirk had to jettison him. For some reason, when you're in an ion storm, you send somebody down to the pod. If uh, the storm gets too vicious, you have to jettison the pod rather than being able to get the crew member back. And what happens when the invest investigation to the accident takes place is that computer records indicate that Kirk actually jettisoned the pod when it was yellow alert, not red alert, meaning Kirk jettisoned the pod before he needed to, and therefore Kirk was responsible for the needless death of Ben Finney. Including mm -hmm. video records. Yes, which yes. are awesome. Awesome. We got to talk about the buttons on that armrest. Awesome. And <laughs> when they brought up the video record, I'm like, oh, this is obviously going to prove him right. No. Yes, it is awesome. And what ensues is an actual court martial with Starfleet officers, defense and prosecuting attorneys. Um, probably one of the quirkiest and funniest characters in all of Star Trek history, uh, Samuel T. Cogley, attorney at law who defends Kirk. And we find out that Ben Finney, spoilers, y'all, this whole show will be spoilers. We find out that Ben Finney 
actually staged his own death because when Kirk was an ensign and they were on a ship together, Kirk found out that Ben Finney, this is really weird, didn't close a switch on an atomic pile that was five minutes away from detonating and blowing up the ship. And when he reported it, Finney was basically demoted and put so far down the list that he never became a captain. It all boiled down to the fact that Ben Finney plotted to frame Kirk for his death so he could get revenge on, on, on Kirk. And at the end of the show, Kirk, we end up with a little fight and Ben Finney is found and Kirk is proved innocent. So what is y'all, what is, what are your thoughts about court martial? Well, I think it's a great Kirk episode. It really is. I mean, to this day, I love the scene where, you know, Commodore Stone saying, so you're inviting a court martial. He's like, I demand it. <laughs> you know? I, I love that moment. So like, I, I know when I hit that button and I'm not yes. laying down for the good of the service. I know yep. this yes. is not right. Yep. Yes. Uh, I just love it. It's just a great Kirk episode from beginning to end and, and great for Spock too, because logical yeah. Spock doesn't accept the evidence because he knows Kirk so well. He knows yes. Kirk didn't panic and push that button early. Yes. Right. You know? and I, I just love it. A great uh, guest actor with Elisha Cook Jr. Um, mm-hmm. And the, oh, I just forgot his name, but the, the guy who plays Commodore Stone, who's also great in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I love getting back to the Starbase 11. And Ben Finney, I feel like really he he would have gotten along really well with Janice Lester from the Turnabout Intruder. <laughs> like oh, Kirk has these either people people from Kirk's past either love him or hate him. There's no one from his past who's ambivalent. <laughs> what a true. Great, what a great possibility for a comedy thing, Charles. Like the Kirk oh, yeah. Revenge Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you remember that Kirk guy? Yeah, he's all right. No one ever said that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. What did you think, Veronica? Sorry, I was just thinking through the episodes and that we're talking about and realized huh? that I think every single one of them, someone dies. And in most of them, there's a trial over it. Okay. Wow. I was sorry. Interesting. It was interesting. In so yeah. we have a theme. Yeah. yeah. Let's bring that up at the end when people have heard the episode. Okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. No spoilers. That's where I, my brain was. Spoilers. How did you like Court Martial? Um, I liked it a lot. I think it was, I finally watched it last night. It was not one I remember watching before. So it was actually a mm. new episode for me. Very exciting. I, I liked the, the um, what's the guy's name with the books? Samuel T. Cogley. Samuel T. Cogley. Attorney yeah. at Law. That's such a like Wild West name. Yes. You know, <laughs> with Star Trek being the wagon train to the stars, that yes. just, it just puts you in a time and place that, is sort of incongruous with what Star Trek is, but it's so that era of television. Yes. I, have, I love it. So hearing the name again, it reminds me of Lil, Lil Abner. Not okay. Lil Abner. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Corn Pone. Okay. Right. The way the right. name sounds. Right. Well, don't right. give us a copyright Close. flag. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was less than three seconds. I was going to say, she can sing up to 30 and it'd be all right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone's never read, uh, they did a, uh, a Samuel T. Cogley novel called Samuel T. Cogley and the Case of the Colonist Corpse back in the day. And it was styled like like a Perry Mason mystery or something. It even had no like the, the red ends of the pages, you know, like the old paperback yeah. books used to, uh, which is worth checking out. Do you wow. do you recall who wrote that? I do not. Because it's, the interesting thing is that the episode is written by a guy called Don Mankiewicz, okay. who was a big television writer at the time mm-hmm. and wrote lots of courtroom police procedural kind of stuff. He yes. didn't do um, he didn't do Perry Mason, but he did do Ironside. Mm. Uh, he wrote for Mannix, uh, Marcus Welby, Macmillan and Wife, 
heart to heart, Simon and Simon. Wow. So he was really, I mean, if you're going to get a guy who's going to write you a courtroom drama, he's the dude to do it. Agree. Yeah. And this episode really does feel like a Perry Mason in space. You know, yeah, it's exactly. complete with the, the, the overly dramatic, you know, the, the ships plummeting into the planet's atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. there's. There's there's a, there, some of the science and stuff on the show doesn't hold up. Like I said, in Lost in Space, it was Cosmic Storm. In Star Trek, it's Ion Storm. Nobody's ever figured out. I looked up online and stuff, and nobody can ever figure out what an Ion Storm is. Oh, and who still, cares? Who cares? Yeah, <laughs> and we still can't figure out. Can you imagine if, like, you're on duty, and they're like, hey, Alan, uh, you're up. And they're like, and then it's like, oh, and then he's talking to Ben, and he will catch. goes, make it quick, Ben. I may have to eject. So literally your assignment is go get whatever this weird readings are. And if it gets bad, you're dead. So yeah, yeah the computer somehow can't get those readings. There has to be a human standing there. Exactly. It's really strange. And what was so what some of the stuff in the show was kind of funny because to your point, Veronica, when they show that they um, they did also they did something they really did in Star Trek at that time was they showed a recording from the bridge, which you assume would be done all the time. And when they showed a recording, it was from overhead. When you look on the panel, Kirk's got these three big buttons. And one of them is yellow alert. One of them is red alert. And there's a button on his chair that literally says jettison pod. I know. <laughs> I know. It's so specific. Like who yes. thought this one thing is so important that it has to have a button all to itself on the captain chair. Yes. It's so wacko. It is. And is anybody who knows about computers, so that button, Alan, it's really easy to hit that accidentally. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, sets his coffee cup down on it by accident. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, we got like, like three minutes left. And one thing y'all said I thought was really interesting about the show and reason I love it so much is you mentioned about, was it Mankiewicz who wrote it? Yeah, yeah. Right. There's, a, there's, a, there's some work in here that I never saw in the original series much. When they show the courtroom and, they're, and they're, the, the Commodore Storm is ringing the bell, the camera starts at the, the Starfleet offices at the front. And yeah. then the camera pulls back yeah. and shows you the courtroom. And I'm yeah. going, man, look at the cinematography mm -hmm. in this science fiction show from 50 years ago. Yeah. Amazingly good work. Absolutely. Absolutely phenomenal. Something else from a, for me, from a, from a personal point of view, this, again, this, this is so hard. You have to go back to 1960s because with stuff like Discovery and stuff, it's, it's still important, but it's not as radical. I watched the show when I was a kid, maybe seven or eight years old. And in those days, again, this is you know late 60s, late 70s. This is a huge deal that when that show opens up, the commander of a star base is a black man. Mm. Not yeah. only is he a black man, but he says straight up, look, Jim, only one man in a million can do what you and I have done. Command a starship. Mm -hmm. So this, this is a black man who is, frankly, again, this is rare. This is a black man who's superior to a white man who is not only a starship, a Starfleet commander, Commodore, which is high, but he was a starship captain. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at the, the grouping of men who was assembled, and I did say men, the men yeah. who were assembled to Judge Kirk, one of them is named Kravosky. The other one looks is an Indian, an age Southeast Asian named Chandro. Mm -hmm. And so there's a scene toward the end where the ship is about to fall out of the sky, basically. It is an amazing scene because they end up putting Uhura up at the helm. So you have a black woman mm -hmm. helping pilot the ship. The man, the president of the court is a black man. There's an Asian man, a man named Kravosky. And although at that time, women weren't allowed to be commanders in that way, that universe, the prosecuting attorney is a woman. 
Mm-hmm. So right. that was an incredibly powerful and forward-thinking show for that time. And that, that you know, every time I look at that, that just can't escape me when I see that. Excellent yeah, point. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And those just, are things, uh, too. Like, you could have told the same story with all white men, you know, right. but they chose not to. You right. know, and there, was, there wasn't anything particularly, you know, cliche or stereotyped about having different people on the, you know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. where you know, they just made the choice to, to, to make that a more diverse and progressive grouping of people, which I think is great. Absolutely. And they, and they also did something they rarely do other than like um, a real as the prosecuting attorney. She didn't have that what I used to call like the female moment they used to do back in shows where you'd have a really strong woman. And then for some stupid reason, she'd just break down and cry mm-hmm. and all that. She was a strong prosecuting attorney. She was a JAG officer from beginning to end. And that is that's just really amazing for that time. So overall, Agreed. this show, and one of the last thing I'll say about the show I noticed was it felt very complex and deep. And I thought about it. I looked at it. It's 50 minutes long. And oh, yeah. All other episodes for all of the series go 42 to 45 minutes. And that extra five to eight minutes mm-hmm. makes a huge difference in storytelling. Oh, yeah. OK, well, that brings us to the next series, the 20th episode of Star Trek, the animated series, Albatross. <laughs> all right. I was excited to talk about, um, you know, the Enterprise arrives at uh, the planet Dramia to deliver medical supplies. But once they get there, they're presented with a warrant for the arrest of Dr. McCoy, <laughs> which I think is. Well, this was after was they great. finished. They finished doing whatever they, they've delivered their <laughs> stuff. They're yes. ready to be back on the ship. And then they're like, oh, by the way, we're going to arrest your medical officer. <laughs> That's right. Like, after he after he took care of all the things that we needed. Well, we're going to get do. their medical supplies first. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was the same way. They're, they're really nice and they're smiling and they give speeches. And yeah. like, oh, by the way, here's the rest of the board. I'm like, what? <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, a standout thing about this episode to me is just the, the design work that went into the Dramians. Agreed. From- from biologically yes. to their spaceships, even their ray guns have a very mm-hmm. unique uh, design yep. to them. And I yep. know that uh, the animated series is, gets a lot of flack for the quality of the animation, but right. the quality of the design work, I don't think, can be questioned because I think I this absolutely is a, agree with you. Yeah, just great alien species mm-hmm. um, from the the primary Dramians to the the folks on Dramia Two who were sort of plague ridden the the mm-hmm. planet of the Walking Dead they call them. Right. Yeah, it was great stuff. And I, I had to chuckle every time they referred to the Hall of Justice. I, I know. Think of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Oh, it wasn't just me, huh? <laughs> oh, absolutely not. That's hilarious. Yeah, I was waiting to hear it tonight. This is a fun one, though. And I think it, it's, it's cool to um, delve into McCoy's past a little bit. And yeah. I, one thing that stuck out to me watching this is that you know, Kirk and Spock obviously assume immediately that McCoy wasn't responsible. They're going to prove him right. McCoy assumes that he was responsible. Right. I'm, I could have, I could I have, made, have a made a mistake. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and then when Spock comes to jailbreak him, he's like, oh, I can't leave. This is illegal. I got to stand trial. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I do think the, the virus was a little, I mean, it basically turns you into a traffic stoplight. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's a little goofy. Yeah. Right. You know, but other than that, I mean, the, the whole episode, the plotting and, and, you know, it's got some really unexpected twists to it. I, I really think it's fantastic. I enjoy it so much. One thing that threw me is this episode, I haven't watched this episode in probably 10 years. Um, mm, I wow. actually, yeah, I actually watch the animated series very frequently, but I have a hard time getting past the first half dozen or so because I love them so much beyond the far <laughs> star, the slaver weapon. I always skip to, so I love that episode. So I, didn't remember the plotting very well 
And so I was kind of thinking that the Dramians, um, Charles, were setting them up for some mm-hmm. reason. It turns out they were just honestly, uh, they were honestly wrong. Mm-hmm. They honestly thought that McCoy may have caused this. I thought that was very interesting. And I also thought it was interesting because the show starts out so friendly, but it's, it's also interesting the way they pro, they put in little different cultural differences. Because as soon as they said McCoy was going to be on trial, Kirk instantly says, I've heard about your system of justice. Mm. And yeah. he's no kidding because they like they had a couple. They were like doing warp six to go to Dramia, too. And they were already saying, man, I hope we get back in time. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I don't know. They're like try him and execute him in the next few hours or something like that. McCoy. So I thought that was really wild. And also to your point about the anime series taking so much crap. You're right. The design was cool because they had almost tentacle hands, yeah. which yeah. they could not have done in live action back then. And I thought that was so cool. And you're right. Their ship and everything. It was very unique. Mm-hmm. And, the, and their their weapons are like ones that a tentacled hand would use. Right. right. So cool. So cool. Yeah. It's very well thought out. I thought that too. I liked Kirk's feint of, you know, leaving the hangar deck open. So I thought yeah. maybe that's why the discovery leaves their hangar deck open just in case a Dramian comes along. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's funny though, that he, he said, uh, her is like, but the, the, the bay doors aren't open. Well, maybe we should take that. Maybe we should correct that oversight. So they, the doors open as the other ship is flying toward them in clear view. <laughs> Right. So right. it's not like, you know, it was accidentally left open. So the guy, I mean, he sees them open, one assumes. Yes. The way the camera shots are done, it looks right. like it's in clear view. And I just think that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm still yeah. not totally clear why he went after them. They're like, oh, they went there. And oh, we have to go after them. Mm-hmm. I, if, they're, if they were like, they really thought it was because of the plague, then what, what would it matter if they went there? That's why I thought initially, to your point, Veronica, that's why I thought initially that there was some kind of weird mystery where they had caused the plague and maybe yeah. they knew it and they didn't right. want anybody to reveal their secret. So I'm the same way. I was I was thinking, why is, he, why is he following them? There must be a secret they're trying to maintain. So I was a little surprised it turned out that wasn't the case. Yeah, it was the nebula, which was a little weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Friend Demos just knew they were up to something. He's he's not going to yeah. let them just go flying <laughs> right. around the solar system. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're going to subvert their judicial system somehow. Right. But to your point, it's, you know, it's a cartoon and aired on Saturdays back in the day. But yeah, Saturday not, morning. Yeah, it, yeah, it's nothing like anything else that was happening on Saturday morning cartoon. Not at all. I mean, you run a net next to Jabberjaw or, or <laughs> Scooby-Doo. Right. Exactly. Chris, because to your point, it was I was struck by how mature it was because on Dreamy 2, they literally said this is a planet of the walking dead. Mm-hmm. And the one or two survivors, it seems like that entire planet is just full of corpses or, you know, well, not corpses, but there's the dead. And mm-hmm. that was incredibly sobering and mature thing that they showed there. Yeah. That got me. That actually got me. Yeah. That ever happened to the Brady kids. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You have to go to Archie uh, Zombie Comics to have something <laughs> like that. Yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> All so right. The science, one last thing, the science is a little off, just a little hokey, because what was funny was when they grabbed McCoy, he's telling Spock, what is the computer saying? What's the computer saying? And of course, we all know nowadays, if you have all the symptoms of disease and the only difference is the skin color, the, the, the color changes, the computer would say, see also, but it wasn't until he took out the skin color change that the computer was like, oh, here's the disease. Of course, there was no <laughs> cure for it. So, but I thought that was kind of fun. 
All right. We have done two episodes so far, and both times you have said, okay, the science doesn't really line up. <laughs> Be used to it, dude. Are we going to hear that? Are we going to hear that for every episode we talk about tonight? Uh, probably. No, I think that's... <laughs> Thank you for warning us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's All right. Funny. So moving Good along episode. to the next generation, the 20th episode, Heart of Glory. Yeah, Ooh, baby. I think is, uh, you know, there's a lot of very famous you know, next gen era Klingon shows. And I think heart mm -hmm. of glory gets sort of forgotten. It's a, it does. Cause they did so much with the Klingons and took them to such like magnificent heights right. where it all starts. This is where TNG says we're taking the Klingons and we are going to build them. We're going to give them a society. We're going to tell you who they are as a people. Right. I think it's fantastic. And I love that the, the Klingons are still treated as mysterious and dangerous. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. a Klingon ship appears on the screen and everybody's like, whoa, you know, <laughs> and then also, you know, Worf's allegiances were still uh, a little suspect. Yeah. Like they they weren't quite sure if Worf was going to was going to turn on them and join the Klingons or not. But I, yeah. I love that the, the whole thing about this episode is that, um, you know, the, the Klingons they, they find on the Talarian ship. They're old school Klingons. They want to go back to, to war and honor, yeah. and they can't fit in with this modern society of the 24th century. And so the, the Klingons of the 24th century are trying to trying to stop them from upsetting the apple, mm -hmm. which I thought that was great. And I thought Von Armstrong was great. I always forget that he's in this. Yeah, um, so that's absolutely. right. I forgot that, too. That's yeah. Right. yeah. 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 He's he's great in everything. I also love and this is so Klingon to me that you strip them of all their weapons. You put them in a jail cell. They then have the ability to build a weapon out of pieces of their uniform. Right. That is so awesome. And yeah, then later, I love that he drops the Starfleet phaser and picks up their little kit bashed disruptor they built out of their <laughs> and takes off with that. And what was funny is they took part of the weapon off the dead guy after they did the, the clean yeah. death chat. And I, and I have to admit, you know, I did laugh at the jailbreak thing because we all talk about the security guards. It is funny because all Starfleet security stand with their back to a cell. For some reason, I don't get. And then the guy yells jailbreak. And then he goes, now I'm going to stand in front of the, the door. So he, he does jailbreak. And then he steps in front of the door. And he provides this huge profile. And then he gets killed, which I thought was kind of funny. And I think, Charles, you mentioned allegiances. I had forgotten that Worf showed those dudes, the, talked about the battle bridge. Yeah. After they had told him that they had killed other Klingons. Yeah. And had lied to Picard. Mm. Like, Dude. You should yeah. have been taking them straight to the brig. I had completely forgotten that that was the order of things. Well, they're just showing them around engineering, too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. I like Jordy's visor. That was my favorite scene. That was a weird detour at the beginning yes. when they're it was. showing off too. Jordy's visor. And never used it again. And but that, I thought that's it was the awesome. Thing. Never it was used so it again. Awesome. They should use it again. But as soon as you see that, you 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 immediately have to say, why are none of them equipped with a camera? Which could be even in their badges automatically. Super easy. Super Absolutely. easy. You don't have to rely on uh, Picard. Like, Jordy, what is it? What's going on over there? Right. Well, Captain, here's what I'm here's what's going on. There's this is happening. Just have a camera. Yeah. It's the 24th century. Come on. There yeah. was one episode of TNG where I forget which one Picard asked Riker what's going on to your point, Alan. And Riker just goes, trouble. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, that is not a report. Right. And Charles, to your point about how they felt the Klingons, did y'all notice how Riker said the word Klingons? He said, what is it? Klingons. And he said it with somewhere between, yeah. I don't know, contempt or fear or something like that. Like, yeah, we're they're friends, but... Uh. Oh, yeah. Uneasy friends. So he should have yeah. said Klingons. 
Exactly. <laughs> if only. Oh, oh, but that reminds me. Uh, don't they in this episode say that their home planet is Kling? Yeah, he does they say sure the, do. the traitors of Kling or something. Yeah, something, something like that. Like that. I'm do. like, yes, good call. Yeah, they, I'm they glad they rethought that. that. I, definitely. <laughs> right, but I, I, I do, and I, I thought it was kind of cool. Every time the Klingons were shown, they played. They had that Klingon music, like when the, mm. when the ship showed up and some things like that. So I thought that was good. And I like that guy who played the commander who we only saw on the screen. There was his presence and just he had a deepness, he had a really deep voice. And I like that interchange or the exchange with Worf when Worf basically says, don't basically don't execute them with their hands bound. And when the guy says, when one of of us dies like that, we are all diminished. I thought Mm -hmm. that was really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. What did y'all think of the Klingon death yell? Did that work for you? No. Oh, I think it's cool. Yeah, I think it's cool too. I, I mean, maybe no. the yell isn't is is kind of silly, but mm-hmm. the the thought behind it, I yeah. think, is I, I, I like the thought behind it. I don't like the actual action of holding open the eyes and staring down on them and watching them die. That creeps me out. Oh, I think it's awesome. Uh, well, you better get used to it. One day you'll be doing that for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be in my will. <laughs> Boy, so you you donate money to Star Trek? Um, if I don't do that, that's and, right. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> it's it's on record now. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was interesting when they went into the quarters when they were, and it was kind of cool. The little thing when Worf walked in, it was talking to the captain. You, you see the look they had? Like, what in the hell is a Klingon on this ship? I love the looks on their faces. And then when they asked Worf, and I had forgotten about that history. They asked Worf when he basically became part of that society. And he said, before the age of inclusion, whatever that is. Yeah. And they're like, that young. So they're basically like, you're not a Klingon, which I, which is interesting. So maybe the age at which you are included in the warrior cast of your family, something like that. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little vague on Worf's age, but also how Klingon ages work. Sure. I don't know if he looked like he was three or if he looked like he was 20. <laughs> i have a a side question i've always wondered does anybody know about the explanation of this why was Worf's adopted father allowed to take a klingon child into the federation why did they not contact the klingon homeworld i can't imagine that they would have just said let you raise him i never figured out wouldn't it like in real life if you were an American soldier in, say, China or somewhere, you wouldn't just take a kid back to your own country. You would contact the local consul. I was always understanding, why was Worf allowed to be taken to human, human society? He was like a rescue puppy. I guess. It's just kind of strange to me. It could be that Klingons don't take back the kids it's, of fallen that's, warriors. That's yeah. exactly what I you was know? thinking. Oh, That makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah, no. At the same how... time, they did the same thing on Discovery with Sarek and Michael Burnham. So maybe that's just how it works in Star Trek. If you find a, a orphan kid, <laughs> it's <Right>. yours. <laughs> Finders keepers, huh? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, but I, I thought overall a really good show, as you said. It, it and it was it was and again for some people who are just coming to this now or whatever, you always have to go back and think about what it was when it originally came out. To your point, Alan, I remember when this came out. This was new Klingons. They were reshaping yeah. Klingons as we saw them. Absolutely, and it was they were giving awesome. them they were giving them dimension and definition yeah. that they hadn't really had before. Absolutely, and. As we as we go through the 24th century shows, we see every each one of them sort of takes an established race and builds on them and expands mm-hmm. them and fleshes them out. And the Klingons are the, the biggest beneficiary of 
TNG's attention. Yeah. Right. And I, they just did amazing things with the Klingons. I thought so too. Now what having watched the original series and watching this one, one thing I did notice, it's not it's not science, Alan. <laughs> what one thing I did notice it'll I be something funny. though. Yeah. <laughs> if you remember in the original series when they had things like that, they always called general quarters, which I thought was so mm-hmm. cool because what it meant was you had to be in a certain station. So for example, if you had an imposter on the ship and you did general quarters and somebody was running down the deck and they go, Hey, there was actually an episode originally go, Hey, you from engineering deck, why are you here? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking if they had done general quarters on this episode, like basically lock people down, you wouldn't have that kind of weird scene with that little girls all but skipping down the hall and the guy oh. grabs her. <laughs> And then her mom comes in in that funky 80s outfit and grabs her and runs away. <laughs> that was just a weird scene to me. I did like the scene where it seemed like a, almost a reaction to Star Trek 3 when they, they specifically coin out that Klingons don't take hostages. That's for cowards. And Star mm-hmm. Trek 3, Krug had done that. And that was, what, three or four years before this episode, episode yeah. came out. Yeah, that's a good point. I yeah, never think about that. All right, well, we'll take a quick break to promote our fellow ESO Network podcast shows. And when we come back, Veronica will take us into the next Star Trek series on our list. So stay right there. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello, everyone. Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. My name is Mark McCrae, and I'm the author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. I'm Dan Klink, co-host of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives features programming trends from the 1966 television season all the way through the last hurrah of the early digital age of the 1990s. On the show, if it's animated, we talk about it. Order your signed copy today at tbsool.com. And listen to the podcast at esonetwork.com and all podcast platforms. Okay, so DS9 in the hand of the prophets. Yeah. Um, probably yes. one of my. Well, there's too many favorite DS9 episodes <laughs> um, for <laughs> me, but I up. really I feel like this one really shapes a lot of the characters and their future relationships more than any of the other early episodes. Mm-hmm. So um, basically, it's um, I want to say Kai Win, but she's not Kai yet. Bedek Wynn. It still sounds weird. Um, she comes <laughs> up and observes the school and realizes they're teaching them science and not religion. And they're, she's like, no, you can't do this and makes a big stink about it. And it turns out that the reason she was making a big stink about it is because she wanted Vedic Burial to come to the station to off him, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so it was... I, I really enjoyed the interaction initially between Kira and her. And mm-hmm. I liked how Kira realized, Oh, this is not actually a spiritual person. This is just a bad person. Um, mm-hmm. She said, even at, at the end, she said, I, I looked up to her. I thought she was amazing. And she had so much. Um, pa. Religion. 
Pa. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, she's like, meh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Charles. I was going to say this is a, it's a great example of taking a, a modern day uh, social question and putting it in the Star Trek universe. Exactly yes. right. And it works so naturally for Deep Space Nine because they'd already established the Bajorans are very spiritual people, very religious yes. people, and that the wormhole aliens are part of their religion. And, yeah. you know, the, it makes sense. That the Federation would be treating that as aliens. I mean, they've met plenty of aliens before. They're going to teach the science behind the wormhole, the science behind the prophets. And it makes perfect sense that there would be Bajorans who would object to that. So, and I think it's a, it's a great question of, you know, teaching science versus religion in school that I think was set up very naturally. And yes. I think it was done very well. And it and it really, you know, at the time that this aired, the uh, evolution versus creationism argument was happening big time in mm -hmm. school mm -hmm. curriculums and all this kind of stuff. And so it was so topical. Um, and it, I, I love this episode so much. Mm -hmm. The first season is a good season. It's a it's uneven as every first season is, except mm -hmm. of course the original series. Right. <laughs> but it ends on the two strongest episodes. It could possibly have duet and this one right. are just both spectacular episodes. And it really gives you a sense of where this show is going to go. Right. Oh, yeah. man. Great episode. Yeah. One thing I thought was very interesting about it was, to your point, if you listen to anyone else talk about Star Trek, uh, anyone else in Trek talk about religion in the other series, they dance around it. Yeah. Um, in uh, the original series, but who mourns for Adonai? when um, Apollo said he's a God and Kirk says, we find the one quite sufficient. And then in Next Generation, <laughs> and then later on, even in Voyager, when they ask that question about, do you believe in God? They always just kind of say, well, you know, I, they, I don't know. They sidestep it. And, I, and Gene Roddenberry was famously, uh, I guess what we would call the secular humanist. But mm -hmm. I, and I found it was so interesting to your point that the, this, is a straight up, this is a straight up religion. And yes, exactly. You know, that's it. They're gods. And that's right. one of the great things right. about DS9 mm -hmm. being in a stationary position. And people dogged on that from the yes. very beginning. Yes. And the, the great thing is that it sits there and watches cultures develop. It's not yes. like a problem of the week. We come in, we save somebody, we fly off. There right. are consequences that we never see because we're not there anymore. They have to sit there and live with and watch all these things develop. Uh, TNG did a, a sort of similar episode in its first season. Um, and I can't remember the title, the one, the, the people who run around the park in the, in their pajamas. And <laughs> is that a oh, Lord. Uh, huh? no, ju justice, justice, justice. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. And uh, so there's this big spaceship thing in the sky that is basically worshiped as a God and it, you know, takes care of them and all this kind of stuff, but right. it didn't go as far as this episode did. Exactly. You know, they Good they point. they acknowledge that uh, there's a technological explanation, but that the uh, people on the planet have their own understanding of what that is. This one actually delves into, uh, well, why are you teaching this thing when this is what we believe? And it's fascinating to watch. That's yeah. a good point. And to your point, um, um, Alan, uh, I think about that. When people worship beings in the original series, Kirk killed them pretty much. 
Kirk always he he pulled the curtain back. If you think about it, the worshippers of Vol, Landru, for whatever reason, the most to of the be time, fair, he would often talk them into killing themselves. <laughs> this is true. This is true. And also, all the god beings in the original series were pretty much like pull the Enterprise down, hit, putting heat beams on the Enterprise. Kirk, on the original series, if you find God, it's either a computer or an angry child or both. Exactly. <laughs> right. So you got to show them. You got to show them. Now, so I, I, I love the fact that Deep Space Nine um, did religion. And what I actually loved about it, too, was one, because of Cisco, who I love, and I love Cisco's relationship with Jake. I love that they put in that line, which could have been a UC Timmy moment, but actually felt natural, is when Jake is saying, they're just so stupid for believing in God. So they're just mm, one yeah. aliens. And mm. Cisco goes, no, they're not stupid. And don't call them stupid. Yeah. That's how they think. And it could yeah. have been a UC Timmy moment, but it actually works because, again, like from the science point, their science point, these are just hyper advanced aliens who mm -hmm. live outside of time. Who are we to say that's not a God? You know, what is a God? To yeah, do? exactly. Yeah. Love, love that conversation. Another thing that I really love about this series is, and particularly in the first season, uh, is Kira basically uh, kind of not struggling. She, I don't think she ever really struggles with her faith, but mm -hmm. she does struggle with how to, how to continue having her faith, learning the things that she learns. Like how do you reconcile these two different things and, and remain the spiritual person that you are? And I've, I've always found that a really fascinating dynamic of that character. And Veronica, this was your episode to talk about. And so wh what do you have to say about this episode? So kind of going back to what uh, Keith was just saying, um, when I was uh, rewatching it this week and I was listening to Cisco talk to Jake and talk about it, because earlier in the episode, he said to Kaiwen, don't, don't Kaiwen, uh, Vedic Wen to don't, don't call me the um, emissary because he still right. wasn't comfortable with it at that time. But it seems like in that conversation to Jake, he was almost accepting it sort mm. of, or he was understanding Mm. understanding it more of of why they needed this um mm. interesting i think i think he was i think to your point i think he was fine that the bajorans needed religion he just didn't want to be the religion right he was still uncomfortable yeah. being the religious figure yeah exactly yes and sometimes too i think whether a thought has crossed your own mind or not hearing it come out of your child's mouth um, yeah <laughs> you're like puts a different spin on it like oh absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. that's a great point <laughs> I have known many parents who had, you know, this is truth. I've known parents of different races and stuff who were frankly had prejudices and they struggled with them, but they're like, I can't have my kid grow up like this. Mm. And so to your point, I think that's a good point. Also, I want to ask, because Veronica, I don't know what you feel about Keiko, but Keiko is somebody who always gets grief because she always seems to be introduced as a shrewish wife to Miles. This was a good episode for Keiko. I had forgotten. Well, you know, she because meat to chew on. Right, exactly. They actually understand her character in this episode yeah. they they give her a point yes you know i mean they did use her way too much to be the the foil for miles and to, you know and this one they they serve her well right. and they should have done that more often i agree i agree i, I really like keiko's character like i would never mm -hmm. i can only think of one episode where i thought she was being shrewish um was she possessed I, and, by and, an alien Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because she never came across that way to me. Hmm. Um, and and I don't I don't remember her coming across that way when she when they were on TNG either. So right, right. Interesting. I never I never 
thought of her that way. It's interesting that a lot of the other fans did. Oh, yeah. She's famous for that. Most people say all she ever does is go, oh, Miles, and complains about his socks. And she and there's this whole there's a whole series of jokes where that whole thing where because the actress was not available a lot, she would she was always going to Bajor for months. And then the joke right. is she'd always come back and they'd always start arguing. It was it was just kind right. of in some ways. Well, right. I mean, I don't think that's unrealistic, but we yeah. have to move on. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Good Keith, episode. what's up next? Okay, Voyager, Elogium. <laughs> oh Elogium. boy, this is going to be a good one. Yeah, this is an interesting show. Long story short, Elogium is an episode where the where the Voyager, oh excuse me, not the Voyager, Voyager, Voyager runs into a group of inner of aliens that are basically flying through space. They emit a strange feel that ultimately pulls the Voyager toward them. And then they get into a really weird situation where a larger creature from the species starts attacking the Voyager. Voyager can't get away because the creature's energy field was interfering with their engines. And they're saying we could warp away. But the problem is that they use things such as warp, they might hurt or even kill the creatures. So they don't want to do that. But an effect of that, and while Voyager is trying to get away, effect of that is it seems that this energy field by the creatures has affected Kess, who for all practical purposes is going into... I, you could call it puberty, but maybe not puberty. Basically, no. it's not really puberty because puberty and, and uh, being able to have babies is kind of could be two different things. Basically, what you find out is the women of Kess's species can only conceive a child one time, which is pretty much when they're middle-aged, around four to five years old. This is a race that lives to be nine. So when they're four to five years old, they go through the elogium. And at that time, it's a natural thing. They must have a child. It is the only time in their lifespan they can have a child. Kess is less than two years old, but the energy field from these creatures has made her elogium come on a few years early. And then there's a discussion with Neelix, as in, if my body can only make a child once, should we have a child? And so that part of the story is Neelix trying to come to terms with becoming a father with Kess, Kess trying to come to terms with whether she wants to be a mother. And then, spoilers, at the end of the show, they decide... Kess decides that she doesn't want to because she still has growing to do. She still wants to pursue studies with the doctor. And then since, of course, Jennifer Lean unfortunately left the series, that was never tackled because they said possibly her body would naturally go into the elogium at the proper time in the future. But we never had that. So it's a show that's about fatherhood, motherhood. When are you ready to become a parent? And... If you make a decision maybe not to have a child because there are other things you want to do in your life, is that a decision you'll come to regret? I think it has a great plot idea. I don't think it's executed very well. I agree. Yeah. What do you guys think? I want to know who came into the writer's room and said, (laughs) okay, Neelix's child bride reaches childbearing age early, but he's not sure if he wants to be a dad. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's just I, I know they're aliens i know they're yes. not humans but it's hard right. not to put it in human terms Absolutely. and the, the whole mm-hmm. bit at the beginning when he doesn't want her talking to tom paris because yes. she's too sheltered to know uh, about like, you're the one sheltering her neelix like right the whole right. thing is just licky. yeah it really yeah. is yeah, I wrote in my notes, Charles, your point. He yells at her so loudly people could hear him. You're so young and innocent. And you're right. It's creepy because he's saying you're too young to know <laughs> what's dangerous and what's good for you. But my old butt is your lover. I mean, it's right. yeah, it doesn't work. 
And it was just, I think last week we were saying that um, the Neelix casting would have been so much better if he was a paternal figure to her. And yes. like, he was looking out for her. Like if, if he was looking right. out for her, like she's a, a child figure to him, like, nope, mm-hmm. you're, you're too young to know what these men mm-hmm. want. Like you need, you know what I mean? Like the whole yeah. thing I think would come across very differently than now let's go to bed, honey. You know what I mean? Like, it's just weird. <laughs> I think whoever wrote this episode the night before had been listening to Motley Crue, too young to fall in love. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and one thing I thought was weird, it was one of those shows, I think last time, I think it was actually you, Alan, in one of our episodes, you talked about sometimes um, you can have a show where you don't really like it, but there's like a conversation that's deep. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of deep conversations in here. When Chakotay c- catches the couple kissing on the turbo lift, they, he and Janeway have a discussion, which originally she's thinking you're just talking about behavior, like you know people kissing in public. But then they're like, no, we got to have a conversation here. We could be 75 years from Earth. Are we going to start having children? And is it fair? Right. Because there's a thought. Let's say that, frankly, you thought you were going to die on the way back to Earth because the distance is so long. Do you just die? Or do you actually breed a whole new generation of people and confine and, and then consign them for a decades long journey? Is that fair? There was a whole discussion about do we turn this into a generation ship, which I thought mm-hmm. was um, there was a conversation where Neelix talked to Tuvok, which I thought was really good, yes. where he was expressing his doubts to being a father. And Tuvok in that Vulcan way basically says, you know, I don't, you know, the whole thing, I don't have emotions, I don't love my kids, I don't this and that, but it is a very rewarding experience. I thought that was a really, really powerful speech and then the one thing jumping to the end i thought was really great acting really great acting was when ensign wildman tells janeway she's pregnant yeah the look on both of those women's faces it wasn't joy it was like oh my gosh what do we do yeah (laughs) congratulations but that was really great acting they were Mm -hmm. they they were confused you know they're like what do we do here that was good but the rest of the episode i think didn't work very well so going back to what you said uh, a minute ago (laughs) keith about um Tuvok and um, talking to him about fatherhood. And mm-hmm. I, I, when I was watching this, I, I recalled the other times that people had come to Tuvok for mm-hmm. ed- father advice um, because I, both Tom Paris and um, Bellana went to him when they were having a child, didn't they? Sure. Sure. Yeah, they did. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. They so did. he was okay. like, I mean, I guess Chakotay was supposed to be the father figure, but I don't think he was actually a father, so he couldn't really right. do that. So it was, I thought it found it interesting that Tuvok was the go-to dad. You yeah. may have missed a Seska episode. Because <laughs> Tuvok was a fa- I mean, Chakotay was a father. Oh, well. oh yeah. Well, yeah. Not the same thing. I thought that was I thought that was good too, and I thought it was Tim Tim Russ always thought didn't get enough to do as Tuvok because it's so hard to play a Vulcan and mm. You know, try to suppress emotions, but have um, kind of an emotional impact. And I just love the way he said that when he said, you know, basically, I'm not, I don't feel pride. I don't feel love, but, and it's like, you always say about data. It's like, okay, well, cause I know you say you don't have emotions. You have emotions. You love your kids. And it was kind of poignant when he says, you know, that he, he, um, he regret that he had been away from them for so long. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the back of his mind, now he's a Vulcan. So Tuvok absolutely can still be alive when they reach Earth. I think he's about 100 and Vulcan still to be 200. Actually, I thought about it. Everybody on that ship could actually still be alive when they reach Earth. They would be Possibly. old. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Chakotay, Janeway, and Tuvok are the oldest. Tuvok is 100. Vulcan still to be 200. But to the point, again, it kind of goes back. I love the conversation is, do we have the right to have a whole another generation of people? Do we do that? Or, you know, that that was a bit of an interesting conversation to have. 
Well, the flip side of that is if we choose to never have kids and on this long journey home, what happens when people start dying off and you have half a crew, a quarter of a crew? I mean, you know, what happens when there's one person left? Is that fair? Yeah. It would have been the doctor. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah. The doctor and Tuvok just flying off into space. (laughs) (laughs) I would watch that show every season. There's a lot of interesting ideas and a lot of things that would have been really great character moments. I think the the sci-fi angle was kind of interesting with the ships having to imitate this cosmic life form in Mm. order to escape. Uh, And it brings it around full circle where, you know, Neelix decides he does want to be a dad one day. And then you find out Naomi Wildman is going to be born at the end of this episode. You you don't find out her name then, but we we know he becomes sort of a father figure to her. Um, I don't, I'm just too distracted drive heating the whole episode to, <laughs> to pay attention. <laughs> uh, last thing I'll say real quick, because I think to your point, Charles, I think that was the problem. I've always, one thing I noticed about the original series is there's many episodes that didn't have an A and a B story. They just had a, true. And an a story. Very this true. episode, I think they made a mistake by having the A and the B because they spent so much time with those aliens and the whole mating thing. And it turned out that the big creature was challenging Voyager as a as a mate for the rest of the herd, as it were. They took away from the time with for Kess. And then to your point about the science fiction thing, they, they added weird science fiction they didn't need to add. Like Kess's feet had to be massaged for her mm-hmm. to be able to go into the cycle. And her then, tongue, then her tongue swelled up. Yes, yeah. her tongue swelled up. And then that weird like, thing why? that was pretty much, yeah. And then the weird comedy in the middle of a serious show where she got that goo on her hands. And she said that she and Neelix had the bond for six days before she can conceive. And of course, my mind is going to places like, uh, uh, what? What does yeah, that yeah. mean? How That's just do they... throwing crazy stuff out to make her seem alien. Uh, yeah. All right. So overall, all right. I think disappointing show. Good, pro- good premise, but disappointing. All right, Alan, it's all you. Okay, so um, the next one up is Star Trek Enterprise. And funnily enough, when I was uh, when we were dividing up these episodes, I was looking at um, synopsis of, of, you know, and looking at this one, I was like, I don't remember that title. I read the synopsis and I was like, that does not sound familiar. I know I saw all the Enterprise episodes, but how do I not remember this? Mm-hmm. Um, so then I sat down to watch it. And I was like, I don't remember seeing this. And then I, that was a day ago. And this afternoon, getting ready for the thing tonight, I was like, I don't remember the episode I just watched. <laughs> like, it just doesn't, it just, I mean, it just doesn't stick in my head. Yeah. But basically, it is, uh, it's sort of a uh, haunted house episode that doesn't really do anything with its haunted house. Uh, they're, uh, they're going to a barren planet. Uh, there's a derelict ship. Um, and there's a rumor that the ship may be alive with spirits because there are no life signs or anything. And they do a few things with uh, camera angles and shadows and stuff like that to give you that haunted house sort of feel right. once or twice, you know, um, and it, but not really enough to really sell that on you. So the episode is basically one of those fake outs where it's very similar to the next gen episode. Um, uh, the one where the, the two people are on the planet and Worf says, uh, well, you know, and the, the and survivors? Like survivors, he had created the whole world and mm. he create recreated his wife because he was alone and he oh, was Kevin, so powerful. Kevin Uxbridge. Yeah. 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 The Uxbridges. Um, and this is very similar where it's this, older man 
who has a young daughter who survived uh, whatever the accident was. I don't even know. And all the crew is dead. And he creates, recreates the whole crew in holodecks and uh, holograms so that she has a community to grow up in rather than finding a way to take her back home or whatever. So very strange episode. Uh, it's one redeeming quality is that uh, Rene Aubergenois guest stars in it. And he is wonderful as he is in everything. Yes. Um, so, I mean, it's an okay episode, but it, yeah. it wasn't one that even watching it a day ago stuck in my mind today. Like, right. I know I have to talk about this episode tonight, and I don't remember a single thing about it. Yeah. Um, it's so funny you said that, Alan, because um, I think Charles mentioned it when you listed it as Oasis. And I was like, what is this show about? Yeah. I, I couldn't remember. And I remember why it's not a it's not a very engaging show. And to your point, kind of spoilers, if you've watched DFS9, you've seen this episode because there's an episode of DS9 where they find a guy who's an, a form engineer or something. He created a village of holographic people. Yeah. And they yeah, have yeah, yeah, yeah. his and so it was kind of like a retread. So yeah. you know, I, I was never fooled by it. And and to your point, it was it it was okay. It was kind of like a ghost story, but it didn't really do a lot. It didn't really engage me a lot either in, in right. a lot of ways. There there were certainly better ghost stories throughout Star Trek than this one. Yeah. Right. And me saying this about this episode is in no way intended for any listener who might be confused, no way intended to be a, a verdict on enterprise as a whole, because mm -hmm. I love enterprise. Ditto. Just this one episode might not be its <laughs> best moment, but it's not bad. No, it's, it's not fine. bad at all. It's just, it, it, it's fine. Yeah. Exactly. Right. It's not a bad episode. Just sit and watch Star Trek for an hour. And right. right. You know, looking at it and listening, because I just watched the day, you know, one thing I think that went wrong with it, and one of the things I think all of us run into is we've watched so much science fiction, and especially so much Star Trek, it's hard to fool you. And especially because this is a retread of a plot, I instantly knew that these had to be holograms. I mean, because again, mm -hmm. I've seen it on, I saw it on DS9. And so right. honestly, to your point, Alan, I think they should have just dispensed with the whole mystery of them being holograms. And just had that come yeah. up earlier in the episode because yeah. once you have the conversation with Renee Virginois' character, where he's talking about I've been alone for 22 years, you could have built something around that other mm -hmm. than spending so much time with the mystery. And one thing I thought was very weird, uh, I hate to do the science thing again, but once the holograms are running around, did they not scan them? Did they not? Did yeah, they well, they did. Uh, they didn't pick up any life signs. So. Yeah. So I guess once they saw them, they didn't scan them again. <laughs> but well, oh, but okay. it was said that they were behind a dampening field. That's why All they right. wouldn't have been able to scan them the first. But then I don't. I guess they didn't once they did meet them. Yeah, because they just. Assumed I they guess they just figured evidence of the eyes is enough. I don't know. What yeah. What I want to know is hmm? why did um, Enterprise, which is supposedly before everything else, encounter this super high functioning hologram? materials but yeah. then voyager the doctor can't leave sick bay yeah and not for the first time either no uh, because they, the similar thing they've mentioned in the episode and unexpected they had holodecks so it's like yeah. the you know the the holodeck is a little less impressive when we know that they've been encountering this technology out in space for 200 yes. years right <laughs> right and then the, the other thing that, that i noticed was um or, or that stuck in my mind was the uh, i'm not remembering the daughter's name now um it doesn't she, matter altera yeah. uh, sure <laughs> not really but but the first oh, time i, I saw it. her i was like did they get 
Kess in here for this. Yes, the she hair. She had this hair, and <laughs> she was wearing the same type of clothes that Kess wore early on. Oh, interesting. Well, maybe it's an outfit that they had designed for. No, I'm kidding. I, I did know. notice that of a lot of those um, holograms outfits wouldn't be out of place on the original series. They had yeah. some sort of, yeah, that's true. sort of tight, yeah. colorful outfits on. Type that's them. very yeah. true. That's funny, Veronica, because the real life actress, she has shoulder length reddish auburn hair. <laughs> and what was wrong with that? Why don't they just use that? <laughs> they must don't... have had Kess's wig still. Right, <laughs> exactly. And and these were outfits that they had designed for season four. Yeah. That, and then Kess got fired. So <laughs> what are we going to do with them? Yeah, right. she was in a Marvel series called Runaways. The Runaways. Okay. She oh was yeah. In that. And look for her. And well, actually, in that case, she 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 actually's had blonde hair, but a shoulder length. But most of the time now, she has reddish auburn hair. But it's so funny you said that because I when I first turned it on, I didn't have my glasses on, and I was looking like that looks like Kess. <laughs> <laughs> That's not just me. That's good. Yeah. So not the best of episodes. Funny, it didn't even occur to me. And and I love Kess. So, um, so yeah, I mean, an okay episode. Yeah. yeah, nothing, nothing to write home about. All right. So what's up next? Next, we have Star Trek Discovery in one of the most convoluted plots to bring a dead <laughs> character back onto a show. <laughs> Holy smokes. Can you explain okay. it to me? No, <laughs> we don't have that much time. Left. No. <laughs> okay. So we have the wrap up of the. Uh, subplot that's been going for a few episodes with a character called May, who is a figment of Tilly's imagination. Um, but it turns out she's actually a manifestation of the mycelial network mm-hmm. somehow. Uh, she needs Tilly's help because there's a monster in her realm that is attacking them. The monster turns out to be uh, Dr. Hugh. Because somehow Hugh is in the mycelial network, not dead, when everybody saw him get murdered on the ship. Well, not everybody. And then they find a way to basically sort of like do a, uh, it's like a transporter, but it's more of a pod that's made of matter. So it's like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of wacko. And so here's the thing. The, the ship does a partial black alert jump. Mm-hmm. So it's half immersed in the mycelial network and half not like it's in, like it's drowning in the ocean. The <laughs> thing that drives me bananas about this show sometimes is that it'll set up the situation where it's super urgent. We have 30 seconds left or we're all going to die. And they stretch that out for half the episode yeah. by having these long, slow paced yeah. uh, discussions mm-hmm. and then it'll jump back to the ship where they're like, Burnham, we've got to go right now. We're going to die. Everyone's going to die. The ship's going to blow up and everything's going to be bad. And she's like, we're coming. We're almost there. Another long, <laughs> slow conversation. <laughs> it just makes me crazy how they do that. It just yeah. destroys the pacing of the, of the and, and it eliminates any sense of danger of what you're trying to set up. Visually, I think seeing the ship half immersed in the network was super cool. Yeah. Yes. With the part of the hull that's submersed being eaten away. And then when they, uh, at the end of the episode, when they finally do jump out and the the outer hull spins on the saucer section and you see the the corroded part, you know, spinning. Oh, so cool. So cool. Um, 
The other thing is I haven't watched any of season two in a while because I was fully immersed in season three and then lower decks and then, you know, all the other stuff. So I hadn't actually gone back and watched season two in a while. And I will say as much as I loved him, loved him throughout all of season two, it was an absolute thrill to go back and watch Anson Mount again as Captain Pike. <laughs> he is so good. Yeah. Oh my God. I am like seeing it again makes me even more excited for strange new worlds than I already was. Yeah, he does have a presence. I'll God, he's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And they write him so well. Right. Yeah. So what y'all think? I agree with you, Alan, because I didn't watch the shows beforehand. So I got the, yeah. I got the quick and I didn't even read about it. Like I typically do. I just got the quick, um, you know, recap that the, that the was built into the Amazon prime thing. And I was a little confused. It looks like May was, she was a spore creature from the Mycel network. And then mm -hmm. she surrounded Tilly in a pod, which yep. I guess is kind of like needing, um, needing the, what's his face, the engineer to interface with his organic matter. So the yeah, pod it's, yeah, it's sort of like an organic transporter. Yeah, but or, it was an organic multidimensional trans. Yeah, no, I mean, it's insane. In oh, yeah. that old trick. Yeah, <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> I love I love Tilly so much. And yeah. they yeah. give her such good dialogue. And she's like, oh, Tilly, what we did was we, we built yeah. a pod and blah, blah, blah. Oh, that old trick. Yeah, I love her so much. Now, the funny thing is, I've seen this episode twice before. This is my third time. I hate to say this. I kept forgetting that Hugh was the monster. So, oh yeah that was actually kind of clever it was i thought way. so too he was really he was really like um he was like um like one of us getting a cut and something getting in our body is trying to reject it he's yeah. he is what he was he wasn't a monster he was just the wrong being in their reality for right, an organism exactly. mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah yeah i like, really i really like may i like the organic transporter thing i like mm -hmm. when they the visuals of sort of the ship sinking in space yeah. uh, i really like culber comes back i mean i like this episode a lot I, it doesn't make any sense but i don't mind right exactly <laughs> exactly it's an enjoyable ride until they start having long drawn-out conversations right. in an urgent moment but up until then it's great you you get uh, a lot of establishment of section 31 you get mm -hmm. the introduction of uh what's his name Pike's um, old friend, who's now the running Colbert? thirty-one. Colber, Colber, no. is that what you said, Charles? No. Anyway, oh, oh Leland, Leland, Leland. There you yeah, go. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and you get uh, Michelle Yeoh coming back on, and and her interactions both with the Starfleet people and with the thirty-one people. Just a, and it's a really great episode. Yeah. You don't get very much of the Red Angel in this one, sadly. Yeah. Well. But. It's a good episode. I, I really enjoy it. And talking about, Veronica asked about the holograms in the previous one that were sort of in the wrong time period. But I thought it really mm -hmm. worked in this one when Section 31 had comm badges and he uses his comm badges. Hey, what kind of what kind of communicator is that? Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. I thought right. that was an instance of pulling something out of the timeline and having mm -hmm. it early where, where it worked really well. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes sense, too, because, I mean, 31 being a secret organization, which apparently in Discovery, everyone knows about. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. It yeah. would make sense that they develop technology differently than the Federation. And it would be a secret technology that would eventually, maybe yeah. a century down the road, become standard issue. Sure. But it's fantastic. Yeah, I think to your point, I think that's one thing people talk about. And that's one thing I still have a little trouble reconciling because Section 31 is introduced in Deep Space Nine was so secret that nobody knew about it. And they weren't even sure it was a true. They said, you know, the Federation wouldn't confirm or deny it to Cisco. Right. Right. 
but and which is cool. Well, but, but you know, you can always ships. you can always retcon that thing into uh, they they do too much, they become too well known, they Somebody then should. go under, they bury themselves, they erase <laughs> evidence of their previous existence. They do go underground and they do become secret. That's a good point. And they realize they can do their job better if no one knows who they are. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. One thing I'll say about Discovery, whether one likes the plots or not, Discovery is an incredibly looking, good looking show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just beautiful. And what I thought was so cool was when Leland did the tractor beam, it wasn't a beam. At yeah. First. He shot little things out to attach yeah. the ship. And then the tractor beams did that. I thought yeah. that was so cool. That was really neat. I, I'd forgotten about that moment until I watched it again. And I thought, why is he shooting stuff at the ship? And then it was like the anchor point. Yeah. I, I thought that was really neat. Really good. And, Actually, enjoyable show. It was a nice touch, too, that Leland's ship didn't have a cloaking device. I misremembered mm. that it had a cloaking device, but it was actually using mm. a hologram kind of like oh, right, the, right. The, the holographic camouflage they'd use on Enterprise. So I thought that right. was great. Oh. I also want to say uh, Jane Brooks as Admiral Cornwall, fantastic character. I loved her so much. I think she's just terrific. And it, I, spoiler alert, Amen. I really, really hated that she got off at the end of the season. Amen. Yeah. But, I'm man, I think she, she is one of my favorite characters on uh, the, the early part of discovery yeah. was there anybody around for her spirit to go through so maybe she's in the my seal network <laughs> <laughs> hey, who knows there's a good admiral bad bomb technician <laughs> right right yeah oh man so right. fun episode i enjoyed re-watching it yeah I, I had fun re-watching all of these i watched them all yeah. on saturday and it's it's kind of fun just to have this random assortment of star trek episodes that the mm-hmm. only thing they have in common is that they're the 20th episode of each show yeah uh, but thematically they're all over the place and i thought it was mm-hmm. a lot of fun now veronica you said that you saw some connections between them yeah so as we were talking about them i realized there wasn't as many trials um <laughs> it was just it was it was just all the original series animated series that that ship yeah. they they had all the trials yeah um there there was a i guess in discovery there wasn't any deaths there was in ds9 mm. okay voyager i don't know it was in my brain earlier and now as we talk about it more it doesn't make any they sense. all star trek though yes they're all star trek series and animated series were deaths deaths yep. and trials yeah okay so, so another thing we didn't point out that i find interesting too is that going the 20th episode of each series is that all of them were season one except for two of them mm-hmm. the animated show and discovery the 20th episode falls in their second season right which is fun it just yeah. breaks up the pattern a little bit yeah right one, one thing i noticed which i thought was so interesting is that of all the star trek that has come i still don't recognize music from any but the original and the animated series because as soon as any of the music plays, I know it. You know, like in the anime that. Okay, but know that. But they use that in every single episode. There isn't new music exactly for each episode. Exactly. So if you watch them enough, it's going to get pounded into your brain. Right. This is true because they but use it's the a, same thing But it's over a great score. Yes, yes, they use it in every episode, but it's really good. <laughs> Absolutely. Like when Charles is mentioning when uh, Kirk confronted Commodore Stone when he says. You um he demand he demanded the uh, the, tr- the inquiry. That music is used in so many dramatic scenes in the original series. You just and then yeah. like when and then that in the animated dun, 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 dun. and the weird way they run in the animated series. I love know? it. <laughs> I it's love it. Great. I had a good time with this. All right, so, it, this was a lot of fun. So next week we're going to do the twenty first episode of every series. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm waiting for the 27th. All right. Well, uh, Alan, where can people find more of you on the internet? Uh, I can't imagine that anyone would want to, but if they were to, they could find me at cosmicpress.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C press.com and on Facebook and Twitter. And I have a uh, music show on Sunday evenings on YouTube, which can also be, I also stream it to my Facebook live. Uh, so those are the two places. And how about you, Keith? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook on pretty much on all the ESO network Facebook groups. You can find me. And how about us, Veronica? Anything slash at felt nerdy, including feltnerdy.com. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I mixed up this week. That's, that's a good one. You yeah. did great. Yeah, I did. And then you're ready with a closing. I'm, I'm ready with my Klingon. Yeah. I, I realized I realized as we were talking, I was like, oh, crap, I didn't do anything. But but then I remembered that Grovar has taught me plenty of Klingon. So um, we're going to learn a little bit of Klingon. Nook, duck, oh, puch, buck, eh. Which means, where's the bathroom? <laughs> That's great. It's very important when you eat Klingon food. That's true. And the, and the answer is, I'm a Klingon. It's anywhere I want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.